Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. This episode is a special one. We sit down with a guy named Seth Hamilton and uh, talk about his life and, and his organization, Go International, go-int.org. This guy is doing amazing things, and he is using jiu-jitsu in a positive way to change the world. Um, it's inspirational, makes you want to go and help people. Um, he's setting an example for all of us. He's definitely a black belt in life. Um, I hope that we get to sit down with Seth again, just because he's doing so much that it's hard to uh, even comprehend uh, in one sitting. So hopefully we'll get to go visit him somewhere in East St. Louis and, and see firsthand what he's doing for the community. Um, big thanks to Monte for setting this up and introducing us and then coming on the podcast as a guest host. Um, truly, there are some great people out there and and uh, we are blessed to to have them in our lives. So thanks, everybody. And I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope it, it inspires you. And, uh, and if you have the means, please go check out, listen to the podcast, check out the website, and uh, it's go-int.org. And if you can, help him. Um, I, he's a worthy guy, and it's a worthy organization. So thanks, everybody. As always, this episode is brought to you by the world-famous Tortuga Soap Company. All the things you need to keep you looking and smelling good. Use the discount code PODCAST and get 20% off your order. Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast, located in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you're ever in the area, please come train with us. We'd love to roll with you and have you come by. PortCityBJJ.com Also brought to you by BJJ Prehab. It's a series of custom videos designed to keep you healthy, injury-free, and on the mat. BJJPrehab.com Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, we really do appreciate the support. We hope everybody's doing all right out there. Hopefully, we'll see you on the mat soon. Peace. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Um, just a little different than what we've been doing lately. Um, Monte, our friend Monte is going to be a guest host. And Monte sent me a message and said, hey, I think you should do a podcast with this guy. And so I checked it out and I was like, oh, we definitely have to, we have to meet this guy. Um, you so know, You know, I don't, I don't recommend anybody. Never. Ever. Never. Um, so I, uh, I, I went and did some uh, stalking on, uh, on the internet and, and YouTube, and I was like super, super stoked. So um, you guys, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate having you here. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. Seth, where did where, you grow up? I grew up out in, on the Illinois side of uh, St. Louis. Um, so always in the what in an area that they call the Metro East around here. Where uh, is and that's where you're living right now, right? Yeah, I live in uh, specifically East St. Louis. So, so um, 
I mean, man, there is a lot of interesting stuff that I would like to get into. But first, let, how did you, what made you start? I know you, you've done striking and MMA and you're, you do jiu-jitsu. What made you, like, what was the first martial art you got into? Uh, I was forced to do Taekwondo whenever I was 12. Um, I grew up, uh, I have Asperger's syndrome. Um, and so I had a severe coordination de or deficit and, uh, like, I couldn't clap uh, without looking at my hands until I was eight. My sister still makes fun of me about it till this day. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I got picked on a lot. I had a lot of issues with um, uh, just social learning, uh, understanding other people and how to interact with them. Uh, and my, I was getting bullied and picked on, which I think is a very common story for kids getting into martial arts. And, uh, my parents made me do Taekwondo um, and I ended up sticking with it uh, in spite of the fact that I got my nose broken, thinking that I knew too much, uh, like a few, a few years later. And um, yeah, then uh, after that, um, I ended up, I, I guess, uh, to another part of the story that we'll get into later. Um, I ended up in East St. Louis, um, which is like the inner city around here. Um, very well known for uh, poverty and violence. And uh, I started, I went down there to teach languages in Taekwondo, met a guy who started teaching me jiu-jitsu. And yeah, uh, that was and kind of the beginning of getting into jiu-jitsu from there. And then expanding. Did you say, did you say teaching languages? Uh-huh. So how many languages do you speak? Um, fluently, uh, four. I speak Spanish, Holy. Portuguese, and uh, obviously English. Wow. Um, I can also speak a little bit of uh, Russian, German, Italian. So, and I think the first one I ever started learning was Serbo-Croatian whenever I was eight, but I haven't spoken it really since then, so. That's seriously impressive. Well, <laughs> I barely have a grasp on one. I, right, me too. <laughs> Who was the first guy you trained jiu-jitsu with? Um... Some guy uh, named Tony Harris. He was just a, he was actually a white belt getting ready to go into a blue belt from there. Um, I moved to Nicaragua uh, in 2012 and started training out there. Um, within a week of moving down there, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. Ended up cornering a guy in a fight uh, a week after moving down there. And then I started training to fight. My first fight would be like a year later. Um, so I started boxing down there. I started doing, I got to work with the national wrestling, uh, selection, uh, to learn my, my wrestling. Cause I was teaching a couple of guys who were, uh, wrestlers, jujitsu. Uh, at that time I was just like a blue belt. Um, but there wasn't very much jujitsu down there, uh, aside from one Canadian guy. So, uh, we did kind of an exchange. Uh, eventually there'd be a guy who would come in from Mexico that was, uh, had a, a specialty in white tie, so we started learning that. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was kind of where it would morph and grow. Uh, and then since moving back here to the States, um, I've been under Jason Smith. Uh, I'm just a, he's a local black belt here out of St. Louis. Uh, owns a gym called Maelstrom. So, so your first MMA fight was in Nicaragua? Yes. Um, pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, it was, I was the first guy from the States to, to fight down there. 
Um, I fought a guy. I, it was so bad. Uh, the the gym I was training in, to give you an idea, there were no mats like hardly anywhere. So the promoter uh, had gotten these mats in, but they had carpet on them. And that was what we were training on. And we were rolling around the day before the fight, I remember. And uh, one of my training partners was trying to mimic my opponent who didn't know very much jujitsu. And he's like, he's just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so he started just moving around doing dumb, dumb, dumb crap. And uh, there was so much friction. My shoulder hit into the mat, dragged, and it like uh, my... Uh, a chromium process ballooned up. Uh, I don't. I, I know the injury in Spanish just because that's how it was treated. They call it synovitis, um, which I don't know if you would translate that to synovitis or to bursitis or something like that. Um, but it like my my collarbone was like uh, like separated slightly, and so I went into the fight. I couldn't punch. I couldn't throw a jab, and. It, you know, everybody would afterwards, I ended up winning because I got the guy to the ground and armbarred him. But after I took like seven overhand rights and I, I had, I still to this day have like a bump in my cheekbone um, from where he had broken it. Uh, but man, it was just, that was a rough, it was a rough go of it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a fun time. Where is what, what year was that? That was in 2013. Um, and it was in Managua in the capital. Hey, wow. Seth, I have a, I have a question for you. I mean, we've already discussed this, but uh, just in case that they probably don't know, what was one of the biggest reasons what motivates you to do MMA? I know you had gave me your reason, but I want you to let them know. I, I never really wanted to be a champion. I just wanted to, I knew it was going to be an opportunity to, to learn something and to be able to mm-hmm. kind of give, uh, uh, a story, but more than, uh, but it was an opportunity to network and build uh, relationships with people uh, all around the, the region. Cause I was so focused on trying to do um, community outreach work. Uh, that, that was the, the purpose of it, you know? Uh, and through that we were able to build, or I was able to build a network that spans through most of Latin America at this point. You know, every time I would go to a, a card, to go and fight or to corner somebody. And I mean, you know, some of the places were just, I, I, I can't even tell you like the craziest experiences. Um, some of them were very legit and professional. Uh, there was one in Panama that was, but you would always run into people from all around the region, you know, from like Colombia and Ecuador and uh, Venezuela and Mexico and Guatemala. So, uh, I made a lot of friends that way and people who to this day I, I've been able to work with to accomplish other things in the region and beyond. I mean, I even had a uh, one guy who I had met from Costa Rica who went with us to work in Senegal, um, in West Africa with the Lionheart initiative. So, uh, and then he went off and did his own thing, uh, throughout East Africa actually, and laid a lot of the groundwork for one of the trips we would take, uh, cutting through Tanzania, to Kenya and Uganda. Um, to to teach MMA and grappling seminars. So, um, yeah, that was the purpose. I, I never had an interest in, you know, trying to make it to the UFC or be a world champion. Mm-hmm. I just uh, knew it was going to lead to 
opportunities to meet people to be able to accomplish more. Man, I got to, I, I don't even want to, I feel like I'm sidetracking kind of the martial arts discussion a little bit, but it, it seems like you have a huge drive through to help people mm-hmm. kind of like, like it sounds like what you wanted to do is increase your, you know, your circle of influence to enable you to help people, whether it was through grappling or not. Um, it, it sounds like that's a major driver for you. Where does that come from? Like what, what made you interested in, I mean, obviously you've got a good so heart. You remember how going back to the language thing, um, you, the first language I had learned was several Croatian whenever I was eight. That was because my parents, uh, we were actually living in a, like a, a really poor rural area at the time. My parents would float around when we were young. Um, but they wanted to adopt a child from Serbia during the Kosovo conflict, uh, which my family, it required that two of us learn Serbian, and then we had to convert to uh, Serbian Orthodox Christianity, which meant these like long church services that were like three hours, you weren't allowed to sit down, and everything was in Serbian. Oh, that's brutal. Oh, it was terrible. Imagine being eight and having to go through that. But, uh, you know, I... it it made me acutely aware of uh, people having problems like, like global issues whenever I was a kid, you know, at that same time, I also had my first pen pal who was from uh, Croatia actually just found my, I I was rooting through my closet and I found the letter I got back from him, the first one. Uh, And that was like 25 years ago. Um, But eventually my, my parents, uh, we became one of two families in the United States that were eligible to adopt from the uh, from Serbia at the time, and then they shut down adoptions altogether. Uh, my parents wouldn't give up. They ended up uh, on a, the idea of adoption, and they ended up adopting my two brothers from uh, Guatemala, which is why I started learning Spanish. Um, and so, I, you know, I grew up. I remember whenever I was 15, we went down to, to Guatemala to pick up my brother. Um, and uh, he was seven months old. Uh, he had red hair from malnutrition, and he had these blue spots on his body that they call Mongolian spots. I don't know why. I guess somebody in Mongolia had had them uh, at one point, but it's something that's very prevalent. Um, and malnutrition, our, malnu- our malnourished uh, children, um, and something that you find uh, a lot in parts of Latin America. And... Wow. So, I mean, I, I watched my, my little brother and, you know, he grew, or as he grew up, uh, he, his teeth didn't form correctly. He had issues with his, uh, the development of his calf muscles and all these things as a result of just not eating enough, you know, whenever he was just a, an infant. And uh, so seeing all those kinds of things, it, it just, uh, what I grew up in, you know, it, it's a mentality that my parents uh, built into me uh, the importance of um, creating opportunities for people who don't have them, you know. Uh, and likewise, my parents would go on; they'd start their own security business, which lifted us kind of out of poverty um, and into like an upper middle class life. Um, and uh, sorry, that's my my five year old son. He's no. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to get him in here to say hi, Monte. Yeah, please do. Uh-oh. Hold on one second. Noah, venite! I wonder will he recognize you with the beard. <laughs> I have no idea. 
Um, I'll, I'll call to him. I'll go get him later. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I was side, or that sidetracked me a bit. Um, so I was talking about, oh, my parents uh, building up their own to, business. We ended up going, yeah, and then we ended up uh, moving into kind of like a, an upper middle class neighborhood uh, in another suburb. And, uh, but the entire time, you know, it, everything that they would end up making on their business would go towards, you know, um, raising, uh, pretty much raising my brothers and being able to adopt them. Um, but the, the idea that whatever opportunities you, you get are for the sake of creating opportunities for others that don't have them. Uh, what, are, where did your parents, uh, I mean, your parents sound like amazing human beings, man. What's really their do. story? Their story? I, my mom was the daughter of a, uh, of a pastor. Um, my grandpa, I believe ended up, he, he had done, he, he had a church in Indiana, one in Colorado. So she moved around a lot. They met in Iowa. Um, my dad is from the area that I live in now. Um, I don't know. They, they met up there, got married. I think they moved to Chicago for a bit and then pretty much stayed in this area for uh, a long time. Um, pretty much, yeah, uh, since I was about two years old. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's pretty much it. As far as, like, their motivation, I don't know. Um, my mom... You know, we always grew up a lot with her Serbian heritage because uh, her grandfather came here in the early 1900s um, fleeing from Serbia. He was an illiterate farmer, uh, raised a family of eight kids in the middle of the Depression. Uh, but that heritage was always part of it, uh, which is, you know, part of why I think she responded so much to what was happening in the Balkans uh, and the breakdown of Yugoslavia. Um, in the early to mid nineties. And I think that was really the big, the big influence on that. That's, I mean, this, like, I don't know about you, Georgie, the story is like surreal. It's crazy. It's, it's one of the most interesting. I'm, I'm telling you, I saw when I started looking at your, like the go international, um, mm -hmm. is this, is this like, so when did go international start? So I've been doing work over the last 11 years. Uh, Go International is something that just kind of was born out of the necessity to create an organization that, that was an umbrella, or that's an umbrella over all the work that uh, not only myself, but a number of, you know, uh, other people that I work with uh, that all of us do together. Um, and I, I would like to specify, there's a, if you Google Go International, you're going to get an organization in Kentucky. And that is not us. Um, you would find us at www.go-int.org. Um, we are based out of East St. Louis. Um, but after doing work in, you know, over 20 countries at this point, um, uh, there was a, a common thread that I would find. Um, the very first trip I ever take or I ever took out of the country with uh, students of mine from East St. Louis, and this is pretty much the, the big progenitor. Uh, I had my, I had three students uh, from East St. Louis. We went to South Africa, and the idea was 
that a lot of people that go out to do um, humanitarian type work uh, tend to be upper middle class, you know, or, or wealthy people and they're looked at as, you know, philanthropists. Um, my first student was with me on that trip and it was a girl who on my first day at the center, tried, she tried stealing my car. And I always make fun of her about this. And now she's, she's actually a volunteer now. She helps me teach classes. Um, but uh, simultaneously on that first day, I saw she was learning Mandarin Chinese. Uh, so she was exceptionally bright. I taught her Spanish, French, and Portuguese as well. And um, so we went to South Africa. It was her, her sister, and then another one of my students, uh, who the kid just looks like the Hulk. Um, I'm just very strong uh, and a really good jiu-jitsu competitor as well. Um, but uh, we went down there to work with uh, AIDS orphans. And there was one day where we, got a, we had a chance to do some tourism, and we went to uh, Table Rock Mountain, which is on uh, the southwesternmost point of the African continent. And it overlooks the plate or the point where the Indian Ocean meets the Atlantic. So there are people from all over the world here. And it's, you know, me, my group of kids from me, St. Louis, uh, which is a predominantly African-American community. And then uh, a group of white people from Wyoming that we, we went with. And uh, as we go around the mountain, there are people from all over the place. And we're hearing all these different languages. And I'm watching this, you know, she's 16 at the time. And she's going around and, and conversing with people from all over the world. So I listened to her speak Portuguese with some Brazilian people. There's some people from France. She speaks French. And she's, there are some people from like Argentina. She was speaking Spanish with them. And uh, DJ, um, the young gentleman I had just mentioned, um, he and myself wanted to go uh, to the peak of the mountain. And uh, while Ariel and her sister wanted to stay with the group, from Wyoming that we were with as they went down to the base of the mountain. So DJ and I went out, we saw what we wanted to see. We went down to, to meet with the rest of the group. And as we get to the base of, of the mountain, we see this group of white people from Wyoming and this group of people from China and this little uh, black girl in the middle of it from East St. Louis as she's translating back and forth, you know, and, and at that point, you know, I saw how brilliant, um, you know, the, these kids were, but they lacked the opportunity uh, and the resources, you know, that, that other kids might have. And so uh, everything from there, as far as building out international networks um, and connecting with people um, w would go on to promote the idea that, that you know, people who come from these communities can do big and great things. We want to see that happen uh, and, and do everything that we can within our, our ability and power to see them succeed on a grander scale. Um, you know, that it's not just about, oh, I'm going to pat myself on the back because, you know, I, I, you know, helped a poor person today, but looking at them with the dignity and respect uh, for what they're capable of accomplishing connecting them to the resources and helping them show that are to see and to fulfill um, a, a place of uh, influence to, to change the world for the better. 
you know, um, and especially a lot of times people who come from, from that background are able to see the solution to the problem in, in other impoverished communities and especially within their own in a way that, you know, you as an outsider cannot. Seth, I have, a, I have another uh, add on to what you just said. Um, Cause I know I've came down to East St. Louis and uh, worked with some of your kids and stuff like that. And by the way, great group, great group of people. Um, one of the being from that uh, a similar environment like that myself in here in, in Los Angeles, one of the biggest things I know is initially is people have a distrust issue with certain people coming in. Originally, like, going to like, that situation, how were you able to develop that trust? With that, with those group of people, to the point where now, just like they just feel like so comfortable around you. Um, somebody gave me advice on my first day down there that was really important, and that was to be genuine. Don't try and fake it. Don't try and you know imitate uh, people around you just to try and fit in. Because it's like uh, now, now I'm a dad. You know what I mean? And you you hear that that whole stigma of the dad joke. Yeah. You know where where you're trying to be cool. Um, <laughs> And just be honest and be who you are. Don't don't try and fake anything with people because especially, you know, in, in especially in the community that I work in because I live in East St. Louis now. Yeah. You know, um, the uh, they're very perceptive. You know, when you're you're being fake, and that immediately gets you shut down. You know, but if you can come on or come in and be honest with who you are, you know, I, I think that goes a long way to establish trust. So is yeah, Go International, I, like, do you have a, you have like a, your own facility where kids come and, and you teach them languages and martial arts? So I'm at, I have, the only place where I have an actual facility is in Nicaragua. Um, my students down there, they started out as like teenagers. Um, and now they run the school themselves. They're like 21, 22. That's a whole separate, you know, story in and of itself. Um, but uh, here in East St. Louis, we work with community organizations. So I teach primarily out of the Christian Activity Center. Um, but we've started building partnerships with other after-school programs. Um, and within the school district, uh, where we're trying to launch something that will have a, a broader impact for kids and youth across the city. Um, starting with uh, a financial literacy program that we uh, have received with the Federal Reserve. Um, one of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks is in St. Louis. Um, and I, we've been working with about 170 kids here uh, through the Christian Activity Center. And uh, we're looking to scale that out because that only represents, I think, the total number of kids within uh, the CAC represents about maybe 3% of the youth across the city. Um, and we have, you know, uh, jujitsu, we've got the language program in which I've got, uh, volunteer. I've got, I think 13 total volunteers that are teaching the kids six different languages that includes Russian, Mandarin, French, Portuguese, Spanish, and Vietnamese. Uh, we might also have somebody once all of this is over with COVID-19. Uh, who will come in to teach Swahili. Um, and uh, then we also have an entrepreneur's program in which we have probably about 20 kids that run three different businesses. 
they run a wow. farmer's market where they grow everything themselves. So there's a gardening aspect to that as well as STEM. Uh, they run a jewelry business in which they make and design uh, earrings and necklaces using things that we import from all the countries we travel to. Um, and we also get to do like bits of international commerce as we import, you know, uh, cloths and fabrics and things like that from markets that we, uh, that we visit. You know, we, we just got a, an order about a month and a half ago from Uganda. Um, and then the kids also have a healthy snack shop. Uh, so we, we've got a lot of stuff going on, but it's only reaching, you know, a, a certain or a small percentage of the kids in the city. So our goal is to be able to scale some of these things out. And since we've got the partnership with the Federal Reserve and uh, pretty good communication with six other after-school programs and the school district, uh, we're going to launch the financial literacy program uh, across the city and hopefully get about 50% of the youth in, in the city. That's amazing. I mean, obviously, these programs are just incredible for a way to like you, like you said, you know, smart kids, gifted children, just without the resources that, you know, some luckier folks have to help propel them into, you know, an advantageous spot where they can influence the world and kind of bring good to the world. But dude, this sounds like an amazing amount of work. It's quite a bit, but it, I, thanks to, it's only possible because of all the people that help out with it. You know, I, I think we have a total of, some 15 partner organizations that we work with, you know, um, good, strong leadership and volunteers, uh, you know, across different sites. And the other thing that, that makes it unique is the, the goal of self-sustainability. You know, um, the, the goal is not for me to be uh, running the programs in a certain place into perpetuity. You know, uh, if you want something to genuinely be impactful um and in a way that is tangible and measurable you you have to actually see people come out of the situation that they're in you know and see them make progress and take roles of leadership so like with the language class things are still moving forward uh right now we're in the paperwork phase but i've got two of my spanish students uh they're two high school girls and they're going to be going to a foreign exchange program where they're going to be in Panama for six months. Uh, and at that point, they'll be putting all of their Spanish into practice. They've been working on it for three and a half years. Uh, both of them have already traveled um, and have met their host families. One of the host families is actually a friend of mine that I met fighting in Panama. Um, so, uh, he, you know, I've went and trained with him a lot. Um, and he actually, he runs a gym down there uh, and has even, or has even taught jiu-jitsu at an orphanage. So, I mean, dude with a really good heart. Um, Where's his gym? His gym is in Colon, Panama. Uh, so it's on the Caribbean coast, um, which likewise is, it, it, Panama itself, it's like the, the Caribbean is predominantly Afro-descendants. And then when you go to the Pacific coast, that's where you have the uh, Panama City, which is, looks like Miami but on steroids. Um, it's, a, it's a really beautiful city. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's on the Caribbean coast in Colón. What's the name of his gym? 
He has a branch of Leao BJJ. Uh, Leao is from Leonardo Gonzalez, uh, who is a multiple-time BJJ or IBJJF world champion for Masters. Um, oh. And he uh, he runs the main gym out of Panama City. And cool. so what what really sucks is we were actually supposed to organize a tournament together uh, down there, but that obviously got shut down with the whole coronavirus. Uh, what was the what was the tournament that you posted about that uh, Monte Tagmian? It was like a multinational BJJ tournament. Can you tell me yeah, about that? Yeah, it was that? the Central American Championship. Uh, so I with jujitsu. Was, was that the one in Nicaragua? Yeah, exactly. So uh, while I was living down there, and as I had mentioned earlier, there wasn't a lot of jujitsu going on. Um, there was one Canadian uh, who was a brown belt. Uh, there was another guy uh, who was a blue belt who was half Nicaraguan, half Canadian, and then myself, and I was just a blue belt at the time. So uh, I, I saw that there were, you know, some people who were starting to try and train because MMA was starting to get big. Um, and we decided to try and promote the sport by getting the gyms together to do a, like, Nicaraguan national tournament. So we got it together. We, we promoted it. At the beginning, we only had four schools, and we would continue uh, promoting the sport. You know, we would go onto TV channels and radio stations, and we would try and get coverage of everything as we uh, moved forward with it. And uh, by the time of the third uh, Central American Championship, I had done three, three in a row, uh, there were then 20 schools across the country that had opened up that were teaching jiu-jitsu. Uh, so these were businesses, you know, and we had, we went from the first tournament, which is the one I had tagged you in where it was just people from Costa Rica and Nicaragua to people. There was a guy who flew in from Canada from, who was totally unrelated to, to even the, the two guys I had mentioned before. Uh, you know, we had people from, uh, we had a guy from Mexico and then we had people from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and Costa Rica. So, I mean, we ended up having people from like seven or eight different countries uh, and it had grown to this, this really big thing. Um, you know, I think over that weekend we were trying to uh, get information as to where everybody was staying in terms of hotels, uh, kind of if they had any tourism plans, because that also gives us an opportunity to get um, uh, kind of financial data to see how much money was spent locally as well to see the economic impact of the tournament, uh, which I think over the weekend totaled at around like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, but considering that the average monthly monthly salary is one hundred twenty-five dollars, um, compared to the cost of living that that paid a lot of people's wages, you know, um, it, it was. Yeah, really good to see. Now, one another another question I have to ask you. Um, it seems like ever, even since I've been knowing you, you've always had like this passion for you know giving back to others. But obviously, you know, you do you do encounter hurdles. So, like, what are some of the challenges challenges in what you in which in your line of work? <sighs> um. Okay, so. Some of this is difficult to explain. Uh, you know, we were trying to 
for example, we were trying to go back into Nicaragua to do another tournament, and uh, like a semi-revolution broke out, <laughs> you know. And then in the midst of that, I still run That's a, a problem. Run. That's a problem. That counts yeah. as a problem. <laughs> big, big problem. So like uh, political situations in other countries, you know, um, violence. Uh, here in East St. Louis alone, I, I think I lose about six people that I know every year, you know, that get shot to death. Um, you know, and uh, it's not to down the community but it's the reality you know that we we face down here um i've been robbed uh, a number of times uh particularly in nicaragua um i've been robbed here that was the first time uh, in which i got jumped by three guys outside of a gas station um while trying to buy candy uh, for for uh, my spanish classes um but in nicaragua you know i, I had oh Noah, vení. Te quieres saludar a alguien, vení. Estás aburrido. Ah, ¿qué quieres comer? Agarra la pizza que está ahí. Do you want to say hi to Monte? Do you remember him? Come here, come here, come here. Say hi. Hi. Do you remember Monte? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> oh man, that's Sorry, a man. stab. Uh, wow. he, he, he's coming at me with the on board um, <laughs> attitude. I, I would chalk it up more to that, Monte. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> so, uh, there, there's something that really struck me that you mentioned, in which, and then you said you were talking about sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's that you know you've created, and I, I think there's a lot of people that want to do good things. You know what I mean, but. Uh, sometimes it's not driven from the best organizational or, or kind of strategic perspective where they go and they can help while they're there. But when they leave, things tend to drift back to the way they were. And what, you know, based on what you were saying earlier, you're, you're empowering the people of these cities or towns to become the engines of change for their, for their counterparts. Mm-hmm. And, I know that that probably makes things a lot harder for what you're doing, but that is real sustainability because they stay behind. They say, I've learned a lesson. Seth taught me to live a bigger life, to think bigger and, and to respect myself and to respect my community and, and do what I can. And then they do. And that is that be, they become the agent of change, right? Versus like, Hey, you can go, you know, it's kind of a teach a man to fish type deal. It's a much harder problem to solve, but it is far more effective in the long term. Like that really struck me. Could you talk a little bit more about that and, and kind of the relationships you've built with the people that you've empowered to do that? Well, absolutely. First and foremost, I want to say, you know, because Seth taught me, I, I never want to take credit towards that because really it's that person that's deciding to take up and, and actually do something with themselves. You know, um, my job is just to try and connect them to what they need to succeed. Um, but ultimately it's them that do it. Uh, but to that point, and you, it, that's true, you know, like one big thing that people like to, you know, put money towards, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to do, um, but it's a general problem. There's a, uh, I wish I knew the, the book is in Spanish. It was written by a guy from, from Spain, uh, who did humanitarian work throughout Africa. Uh, the book is called, um, Hombre Blanco Busca al Pobre Negro. Uh, which is the the white man looks for the poor black man, 
in which he has a very uh, strong line out of there where he says that Africa is a graveyard for abandoned wells. So people will fill, will put a ton of money, you know, thousands of dollars into putting a well there, but there's no, they don't teach people how to repair the well if it goes bad, you know, where either the, the pump breaks or uh, there's a bacterial infection in the water, so it goes bad and they, they don't teach people to, to repair it. So all the money that you just put together was for nothing. You know, um, the, the real solution in poverty, again, is in the people themselves. You know, you, you can invest in places, you can invest in programs, you can invest in, you know, uh, supplies and things like that. But ultimately, if you don't develop human capital, uh, that is uh, marketable skills within people where they can make money for themselves, it, it means nothing. And simultaneously, if you don't work with people on financial management, Additionally, they, they could go off and get a very well-paying job. A, a, a boxers are a really good example. You know, the, the most common story, I think, in boxing is they came up from the mean streets of wherever, you know. Um, and I think back to Nicaragua, Ricardo Mayorga, who I don't know if you guys are familiar with him as a boxer. He was a world champion oh, sure. who got famous for beating Vernon Forrest, you know, uh, and then lost his title, or his title to Oscar de la Hoya. So he's a really well-known Nicaraguan boxer. Uh, the guy would make millions and millions of dollars, and then he blew all the money, you know, and found himself fighting well into his 40s, overweight. I remember the, the, the next – so my, my first fight was the last card before they did a card with Mayorga, and it was the biggest thing. So they had like 15,000, 20,000 people that showed up for his MMA fight, and you can find – uh, you can find this online. He, he won by an illegal me. And I remember because uh, they had Kevin Randleman there. And Kevin Randleman was on the side and he kept on going, how do you say illegal in Spanish? Like he was yelling it out at, uh, at the commission, <laughs> you know, because he, he, the guy uh, got Mayorga in a triangle and Mayorga doubled him up and kneed him in the spine. Oh, but the fight was at 155 and, and Mayorga came in for the weigh-in and he was like 24 pounds overweight <laughs> you know he had a long line of like women and bikinis that were holding all of his world titles following up as he, he was just you know this fat guy with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and uh, you know after that those MMA fights he, he made some money off of them but then was stuck, you know, fighting with Don King, negotiating his contract so he could go off to fight for small promotions for like 5,000 bucks. And then afterwards, they ended up fighting him on the street, stealing people's cell phones. You know, so he went right back to what he was whenever he was a teenager, before he started into boxing. You know, and how often you might have a situation where, you know, you, you uh, work with somebody to get them out of poverty they start making progress, but they don't understand how to manage their finances. Uh, you know, so even if they develop the skills, then that becomes another hurdle that they have to overcome. Because you're looking at, you know, a lot of times generational poverty. So people don't understand how to, to manage income once it starts flowing in. And there's a temptation to just start spending it like crazy. So these are the, if you're looking for long-term solutions, to, to poverty, these are the kinds of hurdles that you really have to overcome, and it does. It, it takes a long, a long time with a lot of dedication and hard work 
you know, on, on everybody's part, but the results are more lasting. You, you, you can see that it's something that, that goes on uh, and, and can potentially change something for generations, you know, so it's not, not only that person, but it's the family that they end up going on to have, you know, and the kids that don't have to go through the, the suffering that they had to. So, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, I, I guess that that's pretty well the, the main point. That's incredible. So I saw the, the, you know, video on YouTube of you in Senegal. Um, can you explain that project? Sure. That's the, the Lionheart Initiative. Um, I came along with them in 2016. Uh, I was supposed to move um, to a part of Africa to go do some work. And I was planning on continuing to do what I had, you know, already succeeded with in Central America. Um, uh, and go through the route of, you know, martial arts. And I was looking up places that did MMA and jiu-jitsu in West Africa, and I came across a, a video uh, of theirs. So uh, what they do is they, they try and create um, the same thing, self-sustainability through martial arts, you know, character development, and a lot of are all across Africa. And I think they operate in 17 countries as of right now. But uh, they've had a lot of people who have come through uh, Thomas Jung, who is a kickboxing coach over at American Kickboxing Academy, uh, has gone over to Senegal. Um, he's French Senegalese. Uh, Cyril Gane, who is in, uh, he's in the UFC right now. He's an up-and-coming light heavyweight. Um, uh, Cain Velasquez even went out there and, and did, like, cut a promo. So, like, there's been a lot of people who have gotten involved with them. Um, but we, the Lionheart Initiative just works to, to, grow the sport because when you grow the sport, you grow an industry and that, that creates jobs, creates businesses, uh, creates national pride. Um, and there's a lot of strong benefits to it. So when we went there, um, it was myself, uh, again, a buddy of mine from Costa Rica. Uh, and then I had a number of students from East St. Louis. Um, we went over, we taught some seminars. We got to put together the very first MMA fight, our MMA card. Uh, in the country's history, uh, in which I fought against a guy from France. Um, two of my students did a couple of BJJ matches against some local Senegalese youth. Uh, we got to train lam wrestling, uh, which is a, it's like the national sport in Senegal. And, and what's unique to that country is just how much of a culture of exercise they have. I have never been anywhere in the world where, like, you go to the beach and they have, like, workout equipment on the beach. You know, you'll find like, pull-up bars everywhere. That's like, their main, that's like their main training, training uh, grounds on that, on that beach, right? Yeah, well, people, they run everywhere. Like, you see people who are, like, you know, they're, they're just running, jogging around the streets. It, it, you know, everywhere you go, there's somebody working out. And uh, so it's also the only country I, I've been to outside of the States uh, where like the biggest thing nationally is not soccer. You know, it's the, they have these giant stadiums for a combat sport and, and lam wrestling is like a combination of bare knuckle boxing and wrestling. Um, and it's existed in the country forever. So, so wrestling is bigger than soccer in Senegal. Yes, huh. it is. It is absolutely fascinating. So uh, we got to train that they put on some lam fights uh, and we went to fight in this, in this stadium called Adrian Sangor stadium. 
in Grand Joff, which is it's in a, a poor neighborhood within Dakar. And uh, most of the people that showed up for the fight were a bunch of kids that went to watch us all train lam wrestling with the local Senegalese guys who just kept tossing us on our heads. Um, <laughs> man, those guys were tough. <laughs> so, uh, but um, yeah, it was it was a fun time. Um, you know, the fight was really uh, the fight was really good. They had it, like Senegalese drummers, so like traditional African drums going off as we were fighting. So, uh, you know, you're fighting, you can hear the crowd screaming, and you hear <laughs> kind of like it, it, sound, it reminded me of uh, like blood sport, but you know, um, but MMA. Uh, so, I don't know, it was uh, frankly the, the coolest experience I've ever had in my, you know, short fighting career. These guys look seriously tough. These, these Senegalese wrestlers. Uh huh. I'm, I'm, I'm just taking a look as, as we're talking here. The, this is rough stuff. They're huge. And, and yeah, I mean, like you know, these the are big and they're boys. Like, and they're, they're bare knuckles punching each other in the face. And you see that they've got like a, like a sling. And so you can use that to uh, wrap over a person's shoulder or their head. And you work to like bare knuckle box, like dirty almost boxing. Like, almost like they're combining like, how should I say, a wrestling sambo and judo and a little bit of a uh, strike into it, right? Yeah, there's, there's exactly. And there's, there's just a ton of techniques that you would find across a number of martial arts, especially, um, grappling arts, right. You know, like you're saying, Sambo wrestling and judo. Um, but I mean, they're all just, they, again, it's a culture of exercise. They, they, you know, a ton of fish. They're right there on the coast. Just people who are crazy strong and powerful. (laughs) They eat a lot of protein. Yeah, like drinking whole milk. You know what I mean? These are big boys. Like, look them up if you're listening. Look, look up these guys. There's not a skinny guy in here. These are giants. Yeah, they're they're crazy, and they yeah. We we went to train with them, and their training is out in sand. You know, um, they're just running around in sand. Um, but yeah, it was that was a, a very unique experience. You know, uh, since then uh, there is a local promotion. Uh, that puts on MMA fights now. Uh, they had their very first, uh, there was a guy that just got promoted to his purple belt. So that's the first like homegrown uh, purple belt since they started introducing jujitsu there in 2013, uh, which was under Kelly Grissom, uh, who's also, he's, you know, one of the co-founders to the Lionheart Initiative. Um, Is that the guy that lives in Virginia? What's up? Is that the guy that lives in Virginia? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, he runs a gym, Koa Gym. So, you know, it, and that's another thing is just the, the the people that you meet and connect with when you do that kind of work, You, you that's a, a strong resource as well because they have so much knowledge and experience on, you know, how to, to get things moving. You, you get all kinds of ideas that you wouldn't otherwise have. Right, and they and they might be, you know, if they're from a different organization, they might be doing something in a different country that you're looking to get into, and you're like, hey, here's the local stuff you got to watch out for. Here's you got to take care of, like like moving into those places. And plus, you know, think tanks work. Like the more smart people that are after the same thing get together, the better the ideas that come out. And so, you know, that's just. I mean, your story is pretty incredible, man. Dude, it's so incredible that like I'm not usually overwhelmed by like 
I'm overwhelmed by your experiences. Like there's so like there's so many. There's Africa, which in itself is just like that one trip is amazing. But then there's all these other ones that it's like it's hard for me to even be able to get a grasp on, man. I, I don't know, man. I was just a kid who couldn't clap without looking at his hands. <laughs> right. I mean? <laughs> like uh, I, I um, I'm just thankful for all the opportunities that I've had. And like I said, uh, the more that I, I get to do things like that, the more I want to be able to pay that back. And even simultaneously, you know, again, that's my, my students. I've got kids from East St. Louis that are going and, and helping out to accomplish that, you know, uh, each time that we go and do that. Or, you know, uh, as of right now, we've got a, a fighters network that uh, of all the people that we've, you know, connected with uh, across Latin America, you know, where they, they might go, uh, some guy goes and fights in another country or goes to train and they, they you know, might do some community work uh, while they're out there, you know. Um, it promotes this idea that, you know, you can make a difference too. And they do. They go out and do things way better than you could. You know, my, my student in Nicaragua, you know, like I said, he was 13 whenever I started working with him. He runs a school that has, you know, three, four times the amount of people that I was ever able work are able to work with, you know. And he's gone on. He's... Uh, won two titles, two regional titles for MMA. Uh, I think he, he's won the Central American Championship out of a promotion in Guatemala, and he finished the uh, the champion at his weight class out of the Ultimate Combat Challenge, which is one of the under-promotions in the region to the UFC. Uh, beat him in the first round. You know, um, they... Uh, they're, they're doing way better than I ever was, you know, and, and at this point they, they have their own sustainable business model. Um, they, they run their gym, they uh, collect their memberships, they do their accounting, they, uh, and simultaneously they do it uh, where they can maintain a free kids class so they can give classes out to, to the kids who can't afford to do it. You know, that's one of the things I've, I've always um, admired, especially when I was working with the kids in East St. Louis, how uh, passionate they were about just learning the, the, the techniques and stuff. They, and even our role with them, I noticed they were even doing the techniques that I showed that same day, which is just like, wow, they are, in, they are so passionate about doing jiu-jitsu. And, and I think that the very next day, uh, Anaya had won the uh, had Oh, Kanaya. Yeah, Anaya, that girl's yeah. a beast. That was her first. That was her first tournament. She choked out uh, both of her her opponents like pretty quickly. She got to their back and, and annihilated them. But that girl, she's she's something special. So this kid is like eight nine years old, right? This little girl who doesn't even she can't even be four feet tall, you know. And I've had her take on like freshman boys, like freshmen and our freshmen in high school. They're like 14, 15 year old boys. And she will take their back and choke them out. You know, this, this tiny awesome. little kid. Oh, man. There was one boy who I felt bad for him because he didn't want to tap. She had his back and had the choke in so deep. And she understands all the, the little details to the technique. You know, she, she makes a fist behind uh, the base of the, the skull. She drives her head in really well um, and knows how to, to just cut the space off more and more. And uh, this kid, he didn't want to tap because he was getting beaten by a little girl. And I was watching his eyes bulge out of his head and turn red. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we had to, to call it off so that she wouldn't put him to sleep. 
Um, but yeah, the, you know, you, you get, you, you connect kids to something that is meaningful to them, you know, that they, they build their identity around, you know, and they, they realize how good they are at something, you know, not only does it help them to, to gain value for themselves, you know, especially in a place where, you know, they're told so often they don't have value inherently. And, uh, you watch them go off and, and succeed well beyond what you could. I mean, that girl, if she continues at it, you know, could go off and, and you know, be winning worlds. Yeah, I know. I, I, I roll with her. <laughs> that was, <laughs> so I know. I know. It's, it's funny because, you know, we, we think we often talk about, like, the, the values that people, that people get out of jujitsu and adults – often, you know, they get, they get, you know, everyone's got a different story, of course, but you often hear the story about the guy that can't, you know, can't hold the job. He doesn't identify well with people. He doesn't have a discernible skill that he's at least identified and like driven towards, you know what I mean? He's tried a lot of things, but not good at it and really struggled to make their way, but they find a home on the mat and that allows them to kind of learn how to express themselves and find strength within themselves to go and, either deal with their everyday life or deal with their everyday life and take a step forward and make it even better and start to influence other people. Um, but I think that folks that are helping people to do that earlier on in their lives is, I mean, that's a real, that's a real, that's a real power that you're enabling the world to do. You know what I mean? That's you're really helping the world to do something like that. And I think that, um, that's the, you know, you turn on the news every, every day and like the only thing that's news that's fit to report is bullshit. That's negative And, you know, it's a downer. And of course we want to know about it because we want to know what's happening in the world, but a lot of it's negative. And, mm-hmm. you know, the things that aren't reported on are the people like yourself that are doing so many great things that are changing a large number of people's attitudes towards how they approach their life in their community. Well, that's the power of jujitsu that I, I find to be really unique. Anybody that, that has an opportunity to uh, to teach, you know, if you're running an academy, every person that walks through that door, you have that opportunity. And, and there's something that's powerfully introspective about jujitsu, you know, uh, just the way that it, it causes you to reflect on yourself. You know, you, you can really see a person's soul on the mat. You know, you yep. you know, every time that you you talk to somebody, one, it, it's humbling immediately. You know, you, you go in there and you, you lose, you, you get smoked for the first year that you're in there until you, you finally are able to beat up the other new people that come in, um, you know, but it builds your confidence because you, you have to really persevere um, in a way that I don't think you have to in a lot of other martial arts, you know, um, but at the end of every class, we circle up, you know, and we ask three questions, you know. Um, what'd you learn in terms of technique? What'd you learn about yourself and what'd you learn about somebody else? And I've tried doing this with, you know, boxing and kickboxing classes as well. And usually it's like, man, he punched me in the face real hard. That's what I learned is they hit hard. You know, it's not to, to knock that. Cause I love, I love kickboxing. I love boxing. Um, but jujitsu, there's such a, a strong camaraderie that you find. And most of the time, you know, people, they'll, they'll say something on the technique and then what they learn about themselves is not, you'll have a lot of, I've improved on this technique or I've built up this strategy, but a lot of times they'll talk about 
you know, I learned that I, I get really anxious when I'm a, whenever I have somebody's back and I'm so close to, you know, to finishing the choke or to catching it. And I get really nervous at that point, you know, and you can start looking at these little lessons that apply to their lives, you know? So what is it that you're, how do you take that and use it to, to improve yourself? What an amazing concept. I love that. What the, what do you, what did you learn about somebody else? And it's like, you think about those things and every, like, this really pertains to everything that we've talked, been talking about. You think about like, you can be rolling with like a, like a, a blue belt, you know what I mean? Who's been on the mat for, you know, a year and a half or something like that. And, you know, there's, you're not experiencing a problem passing, but like you find these moments when people, whether it's technical or not, they're like, I'm going to continue to fight here. I'm just not going to let you have your way. I'm, I'm going to fight this. And you're like, man, this is usually when people kind of, I break their spirit and I get the pass and they just let it go. And they let, but they're keeping, they're going to keep fighting. And sometimes the buzzer goes off and I didn't complete the pass. And like, you get to tell that person, be like, Hey, that was awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Part of jujitsu is not all about having the perfect technique. This is a really tough art that we practice and you got to have, like a deep, you have to have thick blood in order to do this thing. And like, when you see that and be able to tell someone that and you see how they react, it's a really powerful moment for them. It really, it's really powerful. And it teaches like the way you're doing it, it's teaching other people to kind of look out for that. What do you notice about people when you train with them? Like, what do you like, forget about learning their name. Like you're going way beyond that. You're going like, what do you know? What do you really know about that person after today? That's amazing. It really, I'm like, I'm awestruck. Thank you. I've had good teachers, you know, people who have, have helped me to, to learn how to do that. And I, I think one of the things that's, that's great within that is, like you're saying, you're validating a person in a way that they might not be getting validated, you know, um, and you're also uh, building a community through it, you know, um, and teaching people to, to, uh, value each other's strengths and weaknesses and also to be able to take a criticism, you know, um, if there's something or it helps you to, uh, be more constructive with the things you need to improve on, you know? Um, but yeah, it is, it's a very powerful tool. And it, to me, it's fascinating because it only takes, you know, five minutes after class, but as you grow together, everybody starts seeing more and more. And I think this is very intrinsic to most jiu-jitsu places is, you know, you, you grow together. Everything is a, a process where, you know, I'm only as strong as the weakest guy in the gym. So instead of going out and beating up the, the guy who doesn't know anything, you know, and just squashing them, you know, trying to teach them so that you now have more formidable training partners, right. you know, which in turns makes you better. Exactly. Building that foundation. Right. Right. And that's – go ahead, George. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, like, um, change, his, change the subject big time, but I'm, I mean, can we talk about Asperger's? Um, do, you, do you mind talking about that? Yeah. That's um, not a problem. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I would like to learn – you know, my wife's brother has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious as to exactly what it is, what you're, you know, how, how were you diagnosed with it? How it's affected you? 
So um, I didn't really get diagnosed until I was 19. Uh, after I had already went through all the things that, you know, uh, kind of, I, I had to get through all of my stuff, sink or swim, you know, um, my parents would often, cause I was very smart. Uh, you know, I would spend most of my time reading encyclopedias and dictionaries and looking at atlases and things like that whenever I was a kid, uh, and playing in a sewage Creek, trying to find frogs and crawdads, you know, <laughs> um, as opposed to you know, hanging out with kids. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, they, they really pushed me and I really had to learn a lot of things kind of on the fly. Um, but uh, my brother, the, the first, because again, like I mentioned, I have two brothers that are adopted. Uh, the older of the two, uh, they thought was on the spectrum for autism. And so they took him to a uh, psychiatrist and they, they examined him and then kind of as they started going through you know autism and Asperger's they started realizing that I elicited the majority of the symptoms you know um, and uh, so they they asked me to go in and see this you know psychiatrist and then a, a couple of psychologists and they ended up diagnosing me um, as having Asperger's syndrome, um, you know, which, uh, yeah, it, it made sense. You know, I was very pedantic and, um, introverted and, uh, I took things very, very literally all the time. Um, which to this day, I think is the thing that I, I still have an issue with, but simultaneously, I feel like, um, one of my strengths now has become communication where I now have to be able to take social cues from a multitude of different cultures in different languages and dialects, you know? Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I am a person of faith. So I feel like God has taken my uh, weaknesses and turned them into my strengths, you know, where I had a coordination deficit. Now, you know, I had a career as a professional fighter, right? Learned a whole lot of different, physically challenging things that require a lot of coordination, um, you know, and communication and social skills were my, my downfall through from childhood through adolescence, you know, uh, it would spark a very downward spiral uh, of depression and um, uh, where I ended up getting hospitalized whenever I was 16 for, you know, uh, suicidal tendencies, you know, um, and, uh, then whenever that clicked, it just, it made sense. I was able to read up on it and start learning about, you know, things that I, I needed to, to work on. Um, at the same time, I also uh, ended up waiting tables, you know, which where my ability to make money was based on my ability to interact with people socially. Uh, and that was kind of like another training ground, um, for learning. So... And you would never think that because I know I've, I've seen you in action before. And just to give you an idea, guys, of what he does, because I've seen, seen it firsthand, he would go in, when I first went to the Christian Activity Community Center, we would start off with the jiu-jitsu class. Right after that, he would put on his shoes in his regular nogi gear, go inside the Spanish class for about a good 30, to, 30 minutes to an hour. Then after that, 
go change in the bathroom, puts on a suit, and gets ready for the business class. All diverse in those communications. And I, I know I got that. I know I got that sequence right, Seth. I know I got that sequence right. That's actually, <laughs> exactly my schedule. <laughs> so, and you would ne- and you would never and you would have never thought this. Just the way he's able to just be diverse and communicate and interact interact with his um the students and how they receive him. That's why I was just like, whoa, this guy is. <laughs> It's amazing. And it's immersing yourself in three different um, kind of uh, social atmospheres in a short amount of time. I mean, I like, I don't like, you know what I mean? I I don't claim to be a professional, but you know, I I think you're, you know, you're like the ability to do that would be difficult for anybody. Like I would struggle to do that. Anybody would struggle to do that. And the fact that you can do it and effectively is pretty amazing. Like regardless, you know what I mean? Like I, I think that would be a very difficult task. Thank you. I just, for me, I like to learn about anything and everything. So, you know, getting to, to go in and, and just talk to people about, you know, stuff, uh, things that, that really interest me, you know, and things that are also useful life skills, you know, um, that that's you know i guess that's just what i do but it's a you know i like i i think about it what what effective communication means to me you know what i mean and and i think if you and i'm breaking all my own rules as as i speak but um if you're a a mohawk jay what's that you have a mohawk jay it's hard i I should just be like, bro, it's fucking killer, man. That's just killer. No, but so effective communication skill, like it, someone that really analyzes, they might say, oh, I'm, I'm great socially. I make friends easily, blah, 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 blah. And oftentimes their perception of what they're doing is actually not reality. They find that, you know, they get in front of people and they talk about themselves a whole bunch and, and they're not really making friends. There's just, you know, there's people listening, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. I think like yourself who said, I take the. I had to take the opportunity to learn about how to, and test how to effectively communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just in this interaction, like like I've never met you before tonight, and I can like tell that you're like just a really great communicator. You like you you listen and you give back, and we're kind of there's there's a there's it's like we're kind of playing tennis. You know what I mean? It's like we're listening, and it's just I find that, and I'm not like this is something I've noticed in in so many people is that. The, the the communication style of most people reflects the concept of I. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's everything is related back to what you know. Oh, it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. And you have deflected that concept from the very second we got onto this onto this podcast. You're like, hey, it's not about Seth. It's not about Seth. It's about this. No, because I mean, ultimately, I incredible. thank you. Um, again, not to to fall into suit, but I don't know how much credit I deserve. I just um, I know. I know the work that it's taken to get there. And I know that if things are about me, then what I do will die with me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, sure. I, I, uh, and simultaneously, so whenever I was 13 years old, um, I went to uh, a retirement home. Uh, I was at some Christian youth camp and uh you know, we, we went from the camp to this retirement home and some guy came out really melodramatically and he said, I have a story for anybody who's willing to, to listen. And so, you know, I, I listened 
And the guy said that when you're born, uh, God puts a heart in your chest. And uh, as you go on through life, you, you go on and you meet people. And every time that you meet somebody, you give a piece of your heart to them and they give a piece of their heart to you. Whether it's, you know, a glance between passing strangers or if it's a friendship that lasts a lifetime. Uh, and some people might take a bigger piece from you than you do from them and then you'll try and take pieces from other people to fill that void. But in the end of your life, when you're going to be judged, the heart that God judges is not the heart that you have because that's nothing more than an amalgam of all the pieces you've collected from other people. The heart that he judges are the pieces that you gave to others. You know, and, and so on the, there's two ends to this. The first is, you know, the obvious one that most people will take away, that, you know, what I give to people and how I treat people matters, right? Um, the, but the other point that's important to take from it is who I am is not a result of me. I mean, yes, I, I have, I, I choose to internalize or externalize, you know, certain people and interactions that I have with them. You know, I can choose, I, I'm meeting you now, I can choose to completely throw away everything that you say to me, or I can choose to take it to heart, you know? Um, and there, there's elements of, you know, work ethic and a lot of things, but more than anything, I, as a person, as with anybody, am a result of the people that have been around me, you know? Um, like I, I said earlier, my drive towards humanitarian work is something that's been built into me by my parents, you know, since I was a little kid. Um, as well as my awareness of the world. Now, there are things that I chose to do whenever I was little, like reading encyclopedias and dictionaries and things like that that would prepare me. You know, I, I had a more extensive vocabulary. I had more knowledge and awareness of things around the world uh, because of it. And as a result of that, it's afforded me uh, the opportunity to build uh, deep relationships with people. Um, you know, that I've met all over the place. Um, but um, ultimately, that that is, it's a matter of, of who you've been around, you know, and those are people who, who helped to make you. So I, I could never take full credit, you know, not, not even that I, I deserve a ton of it. You know, what I do is, a lot of people might say is, you know, is... is is awesome. However, there, there are also people who do far more than I do that deserve more credit than I do as well. You know, um, but I guess that, that's the way that I generally look at it. And uh, again, it's just, I also recognize how much it took to, to get to where I am, you know. Well, you, you might not pat yourself on the back, but I would do it if you were here with me, man. Like, I, I think what you're doing is incredible. And uh I, I'm just thankful that, you know, it's, it's reinvigorating. I like, I can't wait until we get a chance to, to get this out to the world. Like the people like you are the messages that people need to hear right now, that there are still people that are interested in helping other people. And there's still selfless good souls out there because there's, there's dark times, man, right now. It's dark times. I want to meet you, man. I want to come hang out with you and, and meet you now. You're more than welcome. I mean, Monte came out and visited. You'd be more than welcome to come hang with us once all this stuff is over. And, 100%. You know, or if you ever want to travel out to Africa together, I'm, I'm always down for that. 
Um, but uh, thank you. I'd love to, to be able to meet you guys in person. You guys have been really cool, and I, I appreciate you know having the opportunity to talk to you. Um, if there is one thing I could uh, try and plug, please. Uh, my, school, my school in All Nicaragua right now, they, uh, they had gotten to a point of self-sustainability, but because of this situation with the virus, um, they, are, they obviously have had to shut down for safety. Uh, and a lot of people are, are, you know, obviously in shelter. Now, the country itself has not been super responsible uh, about this. They haven't actually ordered anything mandated. Um, sometimes the government actually sends people out to protest uh, en masse, which is not good right now. Um, but a lot of their clientele is gone. Uh, and so I'm trying to get just 500 bucks uh, by the end of the month to uh, be able to pay the rent to keep the school open. Um, they, they needed money for this last month of March, and then they need it for this month in April. Um, they had enough money. Uh, you can go to www.go-int.org. Uh, you can make a donation there. Uh, just put the amount in, and then it'll give you a prompt for either PayPal or a credit card. Um, we are a 501c3, so any donations that are made are tax deductible. Uh, so uh, that, that's pretty much what we're trying to, to get uh, just for right now. Uh, otherwise, all of our fo efforts are focused on responding to people in need in the middle of the crisis, trying to find food for families. Uh, we just got a homeless family this last week into housing, um, you know, trying to find uh, perishables. I think in our community right now, 80% of people are unemployed, uh, which is a lot of people are out of work right now, you know, uh, but our, our focus is trying to, to help those needs uh, right now and using what resources we, we have to address them. Uh, thank you. Uh, absolutely. Like 500 bucks, guys. If you're, if you're listening to this thing, go to www.go-intl.com. Uh, not intl, int.org. int.org. Go-int.org. 500 bucks keeps this school open. Right. Thank you. Like, What's I know that... that uh, George, we'll get to we'll get we'll figure it out and do something on behalf. Oh yeah, definitely. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course, man. Definitely. Uh, man, I'm super interested. Like, I'm always interested in people's like goals. Mm. What do, What are your goals going forward? Like, what What do, do you you must have some long term you know plans you're trying to do? Scaling this out. You know, we we want to build this up and and replicate it where we can. Uh, we already have a. a proven model uh, in Central America. Uh, we're trying to build one up, um, you know, on, uh, here in East St. Louis, uh, and then to expand that outwards. You know, we, we've got, we're trying to build up a, a fighters network uh, in Africa as well. Um, you know, uh, and that, that's pretty much it. We're, we're trying to build all these, these programs to where we can do them. Right now we also have, um, uh, we're working on agricultural projects uh, to, to help farmers uh, in five different countries. We're looking to export uh, some or some seeds and things like that that will help uh, more sustainable farming projects. Um, and we've uh, got a doctorate of agriculture or agricultural sciences working with us on that, as well as some other key organizations. Uh, and so, 
we, we want to do whatever we can to help people uh, get out of poverty and, and not only get out, but stay out and to build up their communities, you know? Um, and uh, we, we want to build up leadership in all of our, in these impoverished communities that, that works itself. You know, the, those two girls that I'm trying to work on getting to Panama for the foreign exchange, once they come back, they're going to be my language teachers. You know, I'm going to start uh, right now. We've been training them uh, prior to all of this. They uh, they go and they teach my kindergarten and first grade Spanish class uh, with me. So we're training them to teach. And then once they go down there, they'll be immersed. They'll come back uh, with more fluency in the language. And after that, they'll be able to, or then we start training them to actually run the program. Um, so uh, that that's, we want to scale things out. And you, you do that more effectively by building up uh, local leadership. And that, yeah, that's kind of the goal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is that finish your thought? No, that's pretty much it. That's the goal. That's, that's my dream is to see empowered local leadership out of marginalized and impoverished communities around the world, uh, raising their communities out of poverty. George, doesn't this remind you a little bit? It's different in a lot of ways to the discussion with Justin Wren. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, I just can't imagine, like, and I don't know the geography of St. Louis, but I keep picturing, like, kids coming from East St. Louis that, it, it, you know, that people are probably like, man, these kids are never going to do anything. And the next thing you know, they're in Panama and they're in Senegal and they're doing all, they must blow them away. Like, it's amazing. You, you meet my kids and that's what they'll do. They'll blow you away. I mean, Monte, you know how it is. You've already yeah. seen it. Yeah, I already know. <laughs> Monte, how'd you end up there? How'd you meet this guy? Well, speaking of uh, the Lions Heart Initiatives, for, um, the way I ended up meeting Seth was as, a, as, as most of you know, I do like the Gravelthons events, um, and I've been doing those for since 2013. As of late, because of just the schedule and all this other stuff, it's just been a dry spell, so I haven't been able to do any Gravelthons. And so I was interested in getting involved in something else. So a friend of mine was telling me about the Lions Initiative Program. And I was like, you know what, let me just, and normally I like to like just do my investigation. And the first video I saw was the one that Seth was in there when he was in Senegal. So I found out that he was probably the closest. I looked up the, the website. He was the closest one to me, which is kind of weird because most, most of the people in the United States live on the East Coast. And I just contacted him and just start asking questions about it because I want to get involved in it. And then from there, I just start looking through his photos and then asked, him, oh, you teach a class in East St. Louis? And he was just like, yeah, I teach a class in East St. Louis. I was just like, have you had any uh, guests come by? He was like, no, not really. I was like, well, I have some time off from work. Can I come down and teach a class? He was just like, sure. And then so around that time, you know, uh, caught the plane. He picked me up, and we just had a, just a amazing time. In those two days of just training, um, we got a chance to hang out afterwards and talk a little bit. So talk a little bit afterwards, which is just a a great experience of getting to know him, and most importantly, just those kids. Man, those kids were just they reminded me so much of myself and my old friends when we were when we were coming up when we were when we were living. That's what made it so like. That's why I kind of like touched my heart a little bit. Yeah, man, you, you, you had, it was really special, man. It was, I was glad because 
you know, I haven't had anybody come through and somebody to fly out from Los Angeles to put money into to a plane ticket to come out and see us. And, and on that, on that note to uh, going out afterwards, uh, Noah was talking to me about going up to the top of the arch with you this morning. Oh, so, he was. Yeah, so it's not that he, he doesn't know who you are, doesn't remember you. He's just kind of being a punk right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what kids do. Uh, yeah. Uh, man, I mean, because, you know, there's always this talk of, like, jujitsu is changing people's lives. And, man, it does in a lot of different ways. But this is, like, tangible or, you know, it's, it's like, right in your face. Like, man, this is jujitsu changing the world. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it is. It's a powerful tool. You know, um, anybody out there who, who would like to go out, who, you know, especially for people in jiu-jitsu who might have like a purple belt or up, you know, if you want to travel and you want to do something like this, you know, go to the Lionheart Initiative, um, MMAforafrica.com, and you, you can find, they'll, they'll hook you up um, and uh, get you set up to go out. I know uh, Monte was planning to, to head to Kenya uh, to yep. go and give a seminar. Um, but anybody that wants to, I mean, this is something that you could do. And you were, you were about to go like a, almost a week after I was coming back, I think. So we were like, we would have been like, I would have been leaving and you would have been like coming, going, going there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it, it was like within two days. Yeah, two days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Jay Mansfield sharing that, yeah, um, right on there. Perfect. So yeah. I take it those plans got messed up from from the COVID. Yep. Gotcha. Man, we're all going out together. Jay knows this is the worst for me. I start hearing these things, I'm ready to go. I'm ready, dude. Like I, <laughs> like I said a couple different times. Um, you know, I get unfortunately. Uh, this is this whole thing we got going on has um, has spoiled some of the trips that I the jujitsu trips that I planned. But you know, uh, there's a silver lining to everything that happens. Like the result is, you know, I, I was looking at my vacation time through work. I have five I, I have five weeks of vacation time, and I want to replace kind of those trips that I was going to take, you know, some of which was personal. Like I was, you know, I, I had a competition trip, but the Puerto Escondido thing, and I was going to visit some friends and train with them. And I think I'm going to take like a longer jujitsu trip and take a few weeks off and, and, and travel and kind of have meaningful interactions like we're talking about doing right now. So I'm totally down, Georgie. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, man, like, right. So what you were just saying, so, you know, we've been doing this podcast for like six years and it's really like, you know, just a fun thing we do. And we, most of the time we're training, so there's not that much time for podcasting. And we like, you know, we used to go like our whole thing was like, you would go to the place and train with the people. And then we would record after we would never do like these, um, remote podcasts but because the positive thing out of this coronavirus has been like we've started doing these and and we've done like I don't know how many podcasts we've done in the last two it's weeks. It's a lot, George. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. It's <laughs> insane. And, uh, but like what? Yeah. We've done 
We've done eight in like in like a week, a week and a half. <laughs> oh my gosh! Nine. Oh, I've been on fire. But man, like, it, and this came out of it. And I'm like, this is I. I am so excited, like, to meet you, talk to you right now. But also, we're gonna, you know, the way my life has gone and our lives have gone, there will come a time that we are gonna train together, um, all of us. And we're going to do something cool. Like I am, you know, the thing maybe that I, I know a lot of people, which is nice in the jujitsu community that like to do cool stuff and help people. Uh, and man, so the things you're talking about are like just beautiful things. So thank, you know, number one, I just want to thank you for doing all the stuff you're doing and, and sharing the information with us, man, because I think it's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for talking to me. Um, and uh, for, for giving me an opportunity to, to get the message out. Uh, and if I could make one more, uh, you know, plea to it. Um, if you could go to go-int.org, again, that's www.go-int.org. Um, it would be a lot of help, you know. Um, what we do, we, we try and make every, every dollar you, you donate to, to the impact of 10000 you know. Um, but uh, it'd be really helpful, especially just the, the 500 bucks to get the school open, you know, and keep the, the bills paid there. So uh, thank you guys so much again for, for having a, or for having me. And Monte, it's great to see you again, brother. Great, and great I, to I see you, there, man. To keep all you guys in, in, in person, Dude, you know. I'm looking forward to the day where we can, where we can meet in person and, and kind of train. And I want to see your facilities, check out what you got, what you got going on, the programs you got going on. Riddler. We can obviously uh, we can peg the um, the go dash int dot org in the uh, in the intro and also uh, on the uh, on the post once we get it out there and then um, you know we'll we'll at least get you part of the way there to help that school man for sure for sure Thank you. I, I love that Seth's first uh, impression of you is with a mohawk <laughs> you know I'm not gonna lie when you said you were gonna dye it green it made me think of a pineapple. I'm going to end up looking like a pirate. <laughs> uh, Monte, thanks for, for putting us together, man. And thanks for coming on with us again. I told you. I just wanted to sit back and watch this guy get his, um, get his shine because he's definitely – his shine because he definitely deserves it. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. It's all right. He does well is put good people together, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Peace. everyone. Have a great night. Have you too. Day. Stay safe, guys. You as well. Thank you. Bye.